Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household having been built in the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into the dwelling of God in the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Father, we come before you. Father, as I... As I wander around in this text, it is so adamantly clear to me that I understand why the Apostle Paul takes time to pray after each of these dissertations. Father, it's so clear that man cannot grasp this. Father, I look around at my my world, I look around at my church, I look around at the church, and it is obvious that without you enlightening our eyes, um, it's pretty much useless. So, Father, I come before you to enlighten our eyes. Father, there is so much here that um, I am overwhelmed. So I pray for your words, for your direction, for your counsel. But I also pray for your power of your spirit in each of my brothers and sisters. To you, my Lord, in Christ's name, amen. Unity of the body. It's an interesting uh, thought if you think about it. I I hear a lot of people talk about it. um, And yet, I watch some of the things that we do, quote unquote, for the sake of unity. And that's a little troubling to me at times. But I leave it at this. There are many brothers and sisters in different congregations who will always be at a different spiritual level. There will always be someone who is stronger than you. There will always be someone who is weaker than you. 
Okay, and I want you to get this really quick, all right? You will not arrive until glory. So please quit acting like you have. We are here pressing on for the upward calling of Christ Jesus. All right? Because when you think you've got it all figured out, you've just stepped into non-teachable. And that is a really, really, really bad place. Because when you think you've got it figured out, God is about to embarrass you. Okay? When I look at mankind, you guys know I, I love history. When I look at mankind, I can say without a doubt, all right, that mankind is disunified. Not only that, I can say he has never been unified. All right? I look at it in the Old Testament. I look at it at the birth of the church in the New Testament. But I can also look at it today. How many of you are smarter than your employer? Why? Because there's a disunity between employee and employer. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, it was slave and master. And everybody says, well, that's a, well no, it was an employee. They just happened to live with you. Okay? I can look around today, and we have the blue and the red states. And I can tell you that there is no unity there. Not only is there no unity, I don't think there can be. All right? Men and women. They're always unified in everything, correct? And then you wake up. All right? You look at races. Why are we still fighting that battle? Okay? How about nationalities? You know what? And even some of this disunity comes from within our families. People who are our blood lineage. Listen. In case you were guessing or trying to figure it out, there has never been unity. Ever. Which peace treaty has been broken? All of them. And if it hasn't been, give it a half an hour. All right? Listen, listen to what we say. I remember uh, an awful circumstances that started in the 19... It started about 1911, but really peaked in 1917. The war to end all wars. That worked. Quite successful. Can you tell me a time in history when there was no war? So if you're at war all the time... That really strengthens your unity, doesn't it? There's never been peace. Yet, there is the body of Christ. The body of Christ. It is to be unified as the Godhead is unified. So Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is what the body of Christ is to look like. So, the world will know who sent us. I have bore witness to this. 
We do not reach people for Christ here in Castle Rock. We don't. I talk to these churches and I can take some big churches here in Castle Rock right now. They're doing five baptisms a year between the three big ones. That means everybody's saved. See what I mean? You know why? There is no unity. Why? There's too many in the body of Christ think they've got it figured out. And if you don't do it my way, then you're wrong. That's unifying. What happens with let us reason together from the scriptures? Why is there a problem with spiritual gifts? The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. What's that mean? Well, some of us are ignorant about it. And it causes disunity. And yet, we who know exactly how spiritual gifts work will beat you stupid until you get it in unity. Okay, listen. Brothers and sisters, I want to share with you something. If a person believes there's a pink elephant in their living room, you are not going to talk them out of it. You may not see it, but if they see it, so be it. That's why one of my phrases that drives the people nuts in this town is, where is that in the Bible? Because this book will unify. And if you're just making stuff up, you ain't going to unify nothing. This is a disunified creation. And you know what? It has absolutely no ability to unify. It is incapable of doing it. The reason? Verses 11 and 12, chapter 2. The world cannot unify based on this simple premise. They're alienated from Christ. They're alienated from Christ. You know what's amazing? They will unify all of the tribes of the land to battle Christ in the valley of Megiddo. Now get that on and wrap your head around it for a minute. That's the only time we will unify is to whip Christ. You'll have to read it. It didn't go well. But they were unified in doing it. They were alienated. We were started looking through this. You were separate from Christ. But we also see that they we were separated as Gentiles in our societies. Being separated from God's people, what do we end up with? Our separate little groups, don't we? I got my group. I'm the Germans over here. I'm the English over here. I'm the Frenchmen over here. I'm the Arabs over here. I'm the Scottish over here. And I live right next to the English, but I'm not like them. Then across that little water, oh, then they're Irish, and we ain't nothing like them. And it's always been that way. It has always, always been that way. You have a continent that is all the same race in Africa, and yet they hate each other. How does that work? Well, I'm in this country. I mean, Africa always is, is hard for me as a 
person who loves history? Because the countries change about every other two or three years. You know, I'm the Republic of the Congo, now I'm Zambia. And, and, and you're just like, oh, whatever. Okay? I mean, Myanmar. And you tell somebody, you know, we have a missionary in Myanmar. Well, where is that? Well, you know it as Burma. You see what I mean? Why? You know, I've, I'm just going to drive the bus here, and if you don't, there's the door. Listen, I have uh, been blessed to travel internationally. I remember the first time I went to Russia, I was in awe of the Russian unity. They were all together. We are Russians. And you could just watch it. You listened to them. And you knew. You know, uh, worst case scenario, I'm Russian. Okay? And I thought, I don't see that in America. But then you think about it, we aren't one. I mean, we have, what do we call them now? Native Americans. Okay? We have immigrants. And then all of a sudden you realize, no, we are all immigrants except for the Native Americans. All right? And so you immediately have this thing that sort of, well, how does that work? And then sometimes it works fine. But you know what I've noticed? I show up in these countries, whether it's Azerbaijan, whether it's Georgia, whether I was in Israel, whether I was in Russia, whether I was even in England. All right. And for whatever reason, these guys are like really smart and they're like, you're American. (laughs) Can you read my passport through my pocket? How are you doing that? Evidently, I give off American vibes, which, you know, would mess with them because I say, well, no. I'm actually part Native American and Scottish, living in America. <laughs> Some of there. <laughs> and I, I don't know how, how you pull that off. How can you be Native American, blonde-haired, and blue-eyed? Scottish. <laughs> so there you go. All right. I share this because when I go to these other countries, I have to deal with the, uh, the culture, the society that said, well, you're American. Okay. I remember when I was in London. What a pricey place. But I went to a pub. Don't panic. I went to a pub right across from Scotland Yard. And the reason I went to the pub, remember the mad cow disease? Okay. You could go into a pub and get a basket of chips, which is French fries. They don't call them French fries. You get a basket of chips, and I could get a hamburger that was the size of a 14-inch wheel. Okay? $3. Okay? And I learned this quick. Ah, go there. Because I went to, what was it, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and got a three-piece chicken meal. cost me $41. But, but you just sit there and you go, wait a minute. Okay, so I learned, go to the pub and just, and you go in there and all these Englishmen in their suits and their three-piece suits and ties, bowler hats and all the rest of it, umbrellas and all the rest. They're all, this thing's packed. Why? 
They smart too. <laughs> I can get this hamburger and eat it for a day. Okay? But when I would go into these places, I was treated as an outsider. You knew it. Where are you from? What part of Colorado? Da, 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 all this other stuff. All right? But you know what was amazing? I walk into an English church. I was one of them. I walk into a Russian church. I was one of them. A, a Ziri church. I was one of them. A Georgian church. I was one of them. I even got that same response in a church in Israel. Why? We gathered around this book. And it's like not all of us have it all figured out. But we have the same starting point, the same foundation. They ain't worried about whether I'm a Democrat or a Republican. They ain't worried about whether I live in the rural or in the city. They don't care. And I've seen this across the globe. I have dealt with nationalities and I have dealt with societies. I looked at those that are looked down on. In uh, Azerbaijan, the Azeri nationals looked down on the Russians because the Russians came in by invasion. But the Russians are able to reproduce, have children. And the Azeris struggle with that. Yet, in all cases, with the Christians, they are one. I have seen this. I know this. I bear testimony to it. I think it was two years ago. Was it two years ago that I went out and met Pastor Paul for the Shepherds Conference? Anyway, I take this little guy from Tedeman, Chin Hills. I was late trying to get my housing, so I had to go up toward Pasadena and get a, ha- a hotel. And it was uh, the Hilton. And so when I got there, I checked in. He was visiting some friends that he had gone to seminary with. And so I told him where I was, and he didn't say anything. And all of a sudden, he shows up. And so he runs around outside. And I was like, what are you doing, man? I mean, I haven't seen you in a while. What are we doing here? And he says, I must take a picture. I've never stayed in a Hilton. And I was like, well, whatever, man, whatever. Then we get into the elevator. And I think his thing was 40 stories. All right. And he looked up there and I said, okay, I'm on the seventh floor. You're on the fifth floor. Okay. And I showed him, here's the button, 570. All right. And he's, he says, can I push the button? I said, yeah, sir. And he pushes the button. And then, you know, you go up and the door's open. He looks out there and he goes, and he's afraid to get out. I was like, it won't fall. We're good. They don't have elevators in Rangu. They ain't nothing that tall. And so I got with him on the elevator one time after the conference. <laughs> He's hitting every door, every floor. And open it up and like, oh, it looks just like the other one. And pushes the button and we go up to the next floor. And that was the same as the one we just passed. Look at And I'm sitting there going, the dude thinks this is an amusement ride. During the conference, they feed you out in the parking lot. And I was out there and I see this guy come around. His name's Harold. Shoulder length, white hair. And I just look at him. I said, that's a biker. So I go up and ask him where he's from. He said, uh, British Columbia. And the guy has a love, a passion for the Lord Jesus Christ and the word. 
Okay, I never classified myself as a biker. I just like to ride. This guy was a biker. All right. And I had a lot of dealings with bikers. And you know what he does? He has a ranch in British Columbia because he about every three months, he says, when are you riding up here? I ain't going up there in January. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> but anyway, he has a ranch. He calls it a ranch. And people donate stuff to him. And he gets guys out of prison. And the government is starting to send him these people. And he teaches them trades. Motorcycle mechanics, car mechanics, body guys, plumbing heavy equipment, and he's got this place. Here, let's take that tractor and go out and dig a hole and act like you know what you're doing until you get good at it. All the trades he teaches. And so when they're with him for a year to three, depending on what they're going to learn, guess what they're immersed in? Seven days a week. The Scriptures. And they're held accountable. And it's far enough out that guys ain't going to wander off. I mean, you can wander off and you'll never be found again. And it's had such an impact that the people, the judicial system of Canada is starting, instead of sending your rear end to jail, here's your option. And this is an old biker. And he's a biker. I mean, he's, you know, he says, you know, because I showed him a picture of mine. He showed me a picture of his. And, you know, it's, it's awesome. And we got hooked up on Facebook or something. And we keep keep in touch. But you know what's weird? He's Canadian. Everything he says, he's funny to pray with. He prays, and at the end of every sentence, A, and it's just like, what? And Lord, I thank you that you brought Terry into my life, A. And it's just, you're like, oh, man, it's, I hope we don't have to do that when I get to glory. <laughs> but we're one. And we're one based on the Scripture. Listen. I want you to understand this. You need to get a hold of this. Those who are alienated from Christ and those who are one in Christ. If you're divisive, what are you telling the world? Now listen, it doesn't mean we don't talk about it. Okay? But if you're divisive, what are you telling the world? And what do you suppose that's doing To the church. So socially, we have some problems. My family, remember when we were downtown, we used to sing this at the close of every service. We are the family of God. Okay? And I thought, you know what? That's true. We are it. This place is my family. That's socially. And we started last week in verse 12. Paul lists five things that alienate us spiritually. Some of you I know are dealing with lost co-workers, lost loved ones, family members, and all the rest of it. And I want you to try to put your head around this. The Apostle Paul is showing you and me in this text that it was the Gentiles. Okay? No problem. But I'm going to tell you that it's, I don't care who you are. I mean, I can look at it and say Gentile or Jew. And if you're alienated from Christ, 
I don't care what, what you are. But first and foremost, they are without Christ. They are without Messiah. When we say Christ Jesus, do you realize what you're saying? Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. Jesus is the word Yeshua. You know what that means? Save your people. He will save my people. So I have an anointed Savior. When you say Christ Jesus. Okay? If you're Christless, you don't have one of those. You don't have a Savior. You have a hopeless view of history. And guess what? It's funny, I, I deal with people who have varying beliefs or ah, they just make stuff up. There's nothing new. Please t- understand this. I mean, a lot of people like to think there's, you know, well, I'm an atheist. That's truth. Really? Why do you worship then? I have never met a person who doesn't worship something. Okay? Something that you put worth on. And it becomes what you worship. It's You can call it idolatry. When you don't have a Christ, you don't have Messiah, you don't have a Redeemer, a Savior, you will begin worshiping anything. And guess what? There's nothing there. Listen to the statement, and you've heard it before. When you don't have Messiah, you can't stand for anything And you will fall for everything. Okay? So you're Christless. Second one I showed you, you're stateless. You're not with the commonwealth of Israel. You know what that means? You know, we've got this debate going on, on aliens and this, that, and the other. And it's, yeah, whatever. Aliens are people without the rights of citizens. That's what the word means. They were Without the rights of the commonwealth of Israel. So, man, in his infinite stupidity, tries to create his own communities. Not only are they stateless, they are covenantless. They have no promises. They are strangers to the covenants of promise. Remember I shared with you last week, the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12. All that is in that, whether it's Davidic, whether it's Messianic, whatever you want to wrap into that covenant of Abraham, they don't have. They do not have the promises of God. And yet I have met people that were no more saved than them set of drums right there. And yet things were going bad and their first response is to pray. Well, who are you talking to? They don't have all that is in God. They don't have the promise of God. They don't have a kingdom. They do not have land. They do not have an eternal king. Remember Romans 11, ladies? You were grafted in. To the holy root of Jesse. 
that gives you eternal life. Gentiles, we were strangers to all of this. We had no guarantee, we had no security, and we had nothing. You're going to go through this? You know, I look at humanity right now, I look, and i got to keep it kind of here, because I, I see what our community is about, and everybody is striving for happiness. And if you watch them, or you spend any time with them, they go from one tragedy to the next tragedy to the next tragedy to the next tragedy. And I've actually at times said, how's that working? Happiness is based on happenstance. Well, look around us. Just as soon as you get it figured out, you need to put a new motor in your car. Just as soon as you got it figured out, look, I got me a little money saved up. Now I need tires. I got a little money saved up. Everything's going good. My four, what happened to the stock market? And we're always struggling against that. And you know what? You will. You will. He doesn't promise us happiness. He promises us joy. And yet, before your salvation, you had no guarantee of this. You had no security of this. Which leads me to the fourth one. Hopeless. Without hope. Having no hope. All right, you're separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants and promises. If you've got those three, number four is where you're at. You are hopeless, without hope. If you don't have Christ, you don't have a kingdom to belong to, you don't have any promises, and what do you got? Now then, I want to deal with this a little depth because I listen to people tell me what they hope for and this, that, and the other. And, and it's sometimes it's sad. What is your hope? Okay. Not your spouses, not your kids. What is your hope? Before salvation, you don't have any. I mean, you do it a lot. You hope a lot. You know, I think that those, I've seen an interview from this professional golfer that was in a tournament. And his tee time was 740. Okay, in the morning. And he was teeing off at 740. Guess where he was playing? Professional tournament. Hawaii. Yesterday. He got one hole. And they all took him to the clubhouse. Why? Missile coming any minute. Well, what's the clubhouse going to do? Okay? And yet, you know, he said they took us there. He says, I got to be honest with you. At first, I was in a state of panic. Then he said, it dawned on me. Well, what am I going to do about it? And I thought, I, I thought that was comical. This guy makes more money by accident than you and I will in a lifetime. And here he's saying, uh-oh. What is your hope in? 
Okay. Listen, what is hope? Okay. I'll give you this. If, if you really look at it. Now listen to this. Hope is confidence. Okay? That's all it is. I am confident in something. When you drive to your home after this, you will stay in your lane and your confidence is that guy's going to stay in his lane. All right? It is faith on credible promises. That's what hope is. But in our society, in our life, those credible promises need to come from someone that can perform them. Get a hold of that. If I'm going to hope in something, am I confident that they can perform this? That is real hope. Remember what he said, the covenant of promises. Whose promises are those? God's promises. Do you know what's amazing about God's promises? Old covenant, new covenant. Old Testament, New Testament. It doesn't require you. You just have to sit there and take it. Ask yourself a simple question. Is God credible? Listen, these are two things you need to look at your life with. You could put these two things to every person that you deal with. One, are they credible? Two, can they deliver? When you think about the promises of God, ask yourself those two questions. Is he credible? Can he deliver? That's hope. We put our hope in Him, then we're going to grab a hold of hope. Remember what He said in 1 Corinthians six thirteen: Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. Why? At some time, I don't have to worry about hope no more because I'll be seeing. And I don't have to worry about faith anymore because I'm still seeing. Okay, Faith and hope are the same thing. I put my faith because I know where my hope is. I have a confidence Therefore, my faith is based on this confidence of, is he credible? Can he deliver? Hope is confidence based on an incredible promise from someone who can deliver it. Here, in this context, he says the Gentiles... Don't have that somebody and they don't have that promise. I would look at it and say, yes, that's speaking of the Gentiles textually, but it would be anyone who is not saved. Now, listen, I know a lot of people who can quote scripture. I also know a lot of people who have attended church probably longer than I am old. But I also look at a lot of people who can do that. And I can tell by looking at them what their confidence is in. And that's scary. That's scary. They are apart from Christ. They've been separated. They're alienated. They don't know the promises. Listen, the Gentiles in Paul's day didn't believe that there was a future for the body. Okay? Nothing. You get through this thing and poof, you're out of here. When you took your last breath, 
That was your spirit leaving you. Or your spirit could leave you through an open wound. All right? Once that happened, the rest of your existence, you mourned you were in this lostness. Now, that's a lot of hope there. You were unable to be comforted once your spirit left you. That's why you see in our world today, grab it while you can get it. Why? Well, I can add another phrase to it because you're going to spend eternity paying for it. So go ahead, grab it while you can get it. That is a person who has no hope. That is a person um, who looks at it and says, there is nothing else. Live for the moment. You know what it leads to? Despair. And fifthly, Paul sums it all up. Alienated from Christ. Excluded from, so you're stateless. You're not with the commonwealth of Israel. You have no idea what the covenants of promises are, which lends yourself to no hope. And he sums it up. And without God in the world. Without God in the world. Listen, we've already looked at this and I won't labor the point. It's bad enough to be a part of this evil world. Engulfed in this system that is ruled by Satan. Okay? But to be engulfed in all of that without God, how awful. How awful. Listen, I know atheists. They're cute. They're cute as a button. Okay? Uh, I mean... As Paul wrote to Romans, professing to be wise, their foolish hearts are darkened. Okay, and you've got to feel sorry for them because you know what you just did? I just want to live in a state of despair. Because what happens to an atheist, and every time, uh, I had a roommate when I was in college, uh, I won't give his name, but we were, I wasn't saved, and we sometimes needed money for our, uh, extracurricular activities. And he had this bathrobe he'd put on. Okay, and it had a hood on it. And he was a black man. He put, put a hood on it. And he'd go down on the corner of our dorm and start yelling and yammering about Jesus and the coming and this, that, and the other. And people would give him donations. And I'd just sit there up in my dorm window watching down at him thinking, that's crazy. But he'd do it. And yet you sit and talk to him about it. And he says, nah, there ain't no such thing as a God. But I tell you what, every once in a while, he can make money fall out of heaven. <laughs> and you're like, oh, dude. <laughs> That's atheist. Here's what happens with an atheist. I don't believe in nothing. Then despair takes over and they immediately shift into what they don't know. And that's a humanist. Okay. An atheist says, I know truth and there is no God. A humanist says, man is God. But then there is pantheists. Love those. God is in everything. They're everywhere. He's there. He's in the tree. He's in the grass. He's in my Buick. You know, wherever you want to go, God is everywhere. And he's in everything. 
And I mean, it gets kind of corny. Okay? But then there's also the polytheist. Okay? That is, there's many gods. Okay? There is a great religion right now that everybody knows about that's polytheistic and they'll deny it. But it's not true. The polytheistic. You know what it is? Islam. They have one God. He is Allah. No. He is the one God over the other 359. And He is the moon God. So, you have a God. I mean, the Greeks did it. You had Bacchus. He was the God of wine. I've read some things about their celebrations. I'm like, I don't want no part of that. That's gross. Okay? Uh, I shared with you last... Diana of Ephesus. And we won't get into that one at all in detail. But it's all over. They had all kinds of gods. For all. They had the guy who was in charge of the water. Why? Because they realized that man ain't God because I can't make the storm stop. Okay? In Acts chapter 17, a place called Mars Hill, Paul had walked through Athens and Athens had had a plague, and they couldn't get rid of it, so they, they were polytheistic. They decided they'd get all their gods together. And so what they did is they turned a bunch of sheep loose in the city. And wherever the sheep died, they'd build an altar to it. So Paul was headed up to Mars Hill, and he came around this one, and it says, an altar to an unknown god. So Paul's response to the great wise men of Athens was, I perceive you have many gods. I tell you about the one you don't have, the only real one. Okay? Listen, you and I at some point were alienated. Socially, we were alienated, which means we were despised. You were alienated spiritually. You were Christ-less you may have had a form of religiosity, but you were Christless. If you were Christless, then you are stateless. If you're stateless, you're covenantless, you are hopeless, and you are godless. That is the place of someone without Christ Jesus. And there are people who sit in pews today in chairs and churches all across this country who are in that position. Someone who is outside of the kingdom. Someone who is outside of the covenant. Someone who is outside of the promise. Someone who is outside of God. Someone who is without Christ and without hope. Why did God do that to the Gentiles? Okay. I thought you'd never ask. He didn't. They did it to themselves. Romans chapter 2 verse 11. There is no partiality with God. Jew or Gentile. He has no favorites. Everyone is held accountable. Okay. If you go over to chapter 1. Verse 14. No, wait. Sorry. Chapter 2, verse 14. 
For when a Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law unto themselves. Okay? Listen, God gave Israel laws written on stone. Okay? God gave every man ever born of man and woman into this world the conscious to see the law of God. Every human being. It is written in our hearts. Therefore, everyone, whether you look at the Ten Commandments on stone or you look at your conscience, every one of us is accountable. If a Gentile is Christless, then the Gentile is stateless, he is covenantless, he is hopeless, and he is godless. It is not because God withheld anything from him or her. All right? God has written his law in his heart. Chapter 1, verse 19. Because that which is known about God is evident where? Within them. For God made it evident to them. Let me show you what happens. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, who, what? Suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Why? Because I put it in your heart. If you suppress it, my wrath is on you. Verse 19. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Verse 20 says, they are without excuse. They're without excuse. Withhold or suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's when you get people who come up and profess, I know truth now, there is no God. I know truth now, God is in everything. I know truth now, God is plural. I really know truth. Man is God. Give me the information, I'll fix the problem. Man refuses to hold on to the truth. Even though it is written in their hearts. Even though it is all around him. Verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Why do we have to teach our children to say thank you? Why didn't it come natural? Anyway. Or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. See, they knew God. Men know God in their conscience. Verse 23, 
They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, of birds, of four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. See, they know truth. Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over. Right there, brothers and sisters, is the wrath of God. God's judgment. When God gives you over to what you think that you're going to replace truth with, you are under God's judgment. Listen, the Gentile has had as much opportunity as the Jew because he put the law in his heart. That's weird, isn't it? Lost people know that lying ain't going to get you very far. Lost people know, you know what, you can have a lost people, and if you have sex with his wife, I bet you that he'll cop an attitude with it. What do you think? Maybe? You go into somebody's garage and says, I'm going to take that bicycle. Why? Because I like that bicycle. I bet you have a problem. Why? Because in your heart, that stealing is not good. Lying is not good. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? It is there. I don't have to make a law for it. We already know it. Now, you'll watch some of these buffoons professing to be wise and their foolish hearts are darkened. Well, that's not really that big a deal. Really? Try it. Well, I just shot him and killed him because he made me mad. But it's not murder. Good idea. Good idea. He had Israel, the country, set aside to go back to the Gentile world and tell them what they had done. And to call them back. Call them back to me, Jehovah. But they didn't do that. The Jew became proud, became selfish. And there was a great divide. Only Christ Jesus came along and he reached across, grabbed the hand of the Gentile and the Jew, and he brought them together. You know what that means? It wasn't easy. Listen, we fight that battle today. Look around us. And yet I've had the privilege of seeing Jesus' prayer in John 17 answered the oneness as the Godhead is one. Practically. Listen, I pray for this church. It would be, it would reach out and it would take the hand of anyone who names the name of Christ Jesus into our hands. Now listen, you can't expect them to be a theological or a seminary professor. But if they name the name Christ, reach to them. Listen, I grew up in this church years ago that doctrine divides. I remember pastors telling me that. So if a pastor tells you that, then it's got to be right. And you know what? It's not. Doctrine unites. Who is this person Christ? I don't want you to make him in your image. Who is he? That's the unity of the body that Jesus wants. We should pray 
And we should strive in our own hearts to do as Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Keep the unity of the spirit in the bonds of peace. You're going to find that in chapter four. But you've got to get three chapters of theology before you can understand that. And let me tell you something. It starts right here. In these walls. We love each other. As Christ loved us. You know what happens? It spreads. The unity is already here. We preserve it in the bonds of peace. Listen, I see it a lot of times. It's under the surface. You see it right there. Oh, yeah, they love each other. But it's got to go deep. It's got to go deep. Very, very deep. All right, my challenge to you all. Pray for one another. Daily. Confess to one another. Daily if need be. Exhort one another. Daily. Walk with one another. Daily. Restore one another. Daily. And the one that we all love the best. Serve one another. Daily. Listen. When our unity is seen practically. We will not have enough chairs. For the people who will want part of it. I will close with one of my favorite verses, text. Philippians chapter 2, 2 through 5. Make my joy complete. That's what Paul's telling the Philippians. You know, he's in jail right now. Okay, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the spirit, intent on one purpose. Okay, what's that purpose, Paul? Tell me the purpose. Quit beating around the bush. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was also in Christ Jesus. You do that right there. You will never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever, ever have an argument with anyone. But it's a lot harder than it sounds. Okay. That's the unity of the body. You and I were all alienated from Christ. I showed you the spiritual side of it and the social side of it. But guess what? You're not anymore. And that's why they sing hallelujah in the heavens. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Thank you so much for the unity that you have given us. Father, may we be overwhelmed with the privilege to pray for one another. Father, the the power to confess to one another. Father, the glory to exhort one another. Father, the time to walk with one another. Father, the ability to restore one another, and Father, the overwhelming desire to serve one another. Help us to consider others more important than ourselves. In Christ's name, amen.